Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hey, I'm Bruce Moffat, and you're listening to Eating Habits. Hey there, listeners. Jamie here. I would like to give you a quick update before we get into this week's episode. We just wrapped up four days of the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. It was an awesome weekend filled with uh, great energy. Tons of people came from all over the country, and uh, I even got to get two of my top chef buddies in front of the mic. I'm really excited to share those episodes with you in the coming weeks, but for now, here's our episode with Bruce Moffat. Bruce Moffat, welcome to Eating Habits. So you and I have known each other for a long time since I think at least two, 18 years. Yeah. I think was the first time you came in and so applied. Was it 2009? Is that right? 2008? Uh, you were so um, when did you move to Charlotte? I moved to Charlotte in 2002 and I worked. I think you came in a place. Oh, I applied before application. that. Yeah. Yeah. I sent an application. You're, you're right. And I met you then. That's and a good story. You were the first person. You're one of the first people to ever like walk in and apply for a job. And I looked at your resume and I thought you had more qualifications than I did. So I was a little hesitant. <laughs> you didn't hire me at that point. I did not. I'm glad that you said that because um, that's funny because I got here in 2002, February 2002 after 9-11. Yeah. And I went to Barrington's. Because you and Scott Weiland came in. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I went to, basically there were, I think, three chef-driven restaurants or chef-owned operated yeah. type restaurants. Rudy. Yep. Gene. I interviewed with them. Who's doing really good. Oh, not interviewed. I dropped off resumes yeah. with them. Yeah. And, and nobody hired me. And uh, what's his name? Condren. Yep. And who I ended up working with was Mark Martin. Mark Martin. Yeah. yeah remember Mark? So yeah. so Mark was the only one of you guys Mark who looked at my does. resume and said, well, we went to the same school. I guess I'll give him a shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mark always tells me how lucky I am and what a great location I had. Yeah. What do you think? I think I worked my ass off. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of where you come from. Because you and I kind of come from the same vector of the East. Um, I yeah. grew up in Marblehead, Mass, North Shore of Boston. I grew up in Barrington, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. So Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. How long were you in, in Rhode Island? Uh, I think we moved there when I was four and uh, I left after I graduated from college. Okay. So and what, were you like in your early 20s maybe? Yeah. And did you move That's to Charlotte I, from... No, no, you went. No, no so I went to DC. You had a little political career and worked for uh, a U.S. senator, and then from there, I followed a girl to L.A. Disaster. Uh, went back to DC, and the same week, I got fired from my job, and uh, my girlfriend broke up with me. So I had one of my best <laughs> friends from Charlotte uh, told me uh, to come check Charlotte out. So I went to check out Charlotte, and we were just kind of trying to figure out what we wanted to do when we grew up and we talked each other into buying a pizza place. So we bought this pizza place and I started dating his wife's friend. She got pregnant. The whole pizza place thing fell apart. My relationship fell apart. So I cut bait and applied for the Culinary Institute, got accepted there. So moved to New York 
That was CIA. Yes. Culinary CIA. Institute of America. Yep. And then from CIA, I went to Atlanta for two years, then Boston for four, four years, and then to Charlotte. In Boston, you worked at L'Espalier, right? I did, yeah, and a little place called Metropolis. I remember, I remember Metropolis too. Which one of those experiences do you think had the most impact on your kind of decision making or culinary drive to to kind of do your own thing, you know, become a chef and do all that? Well, I think that's a two part answer. Uh, Les Valier definitely was the greatest influence of any job I ever had on my culinary. I started out as a line cook there and was uh, it was just in over my head and got demoted. And I thought it was kind of the worst thing that could ever happen. But I became the AM pantry guy. So I learned how to do pastries. I learned how to make stocks. I learned how to make sauces. I was responsible for the amuse, coming up with the ideas, putting it all together, figuring out what was in the walk in, like, figuring out how to how to make all the leftover stuff in the walk-in work as an amuse and and all that and then you know work some pantry this that the other one people were missing and so at the time I thought it was awful because I got demoted but what I really learned was how to cook and how flavors went together and flavor combinations and 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 Frank McClellan was the chef there and as a mentor he was really good I think I was pretty despondent one day and he finally looked at me and said you know what you might not be the greatest line cook you probably never will but you know how to cook you know how to put flavors together he's like I can hire pretty much anyone off the street to be a line cook I said but like what you have is is special and you know and, and embrace that and you'll eventually learn to be a better line cook and you'll and you'll succeed in this industry so from a culinary perspective that, that was he was my greatest influence and then uh you know i knew from previous experience that i just didn't want to manage a ton of people but i liked running my own gig and so when i got the job at metropolis it was a 40 seat restaurant and it made great money the owner made great money there and it was really so when i went there it was kind of well how am i going to learn what he knows and how am I going to learn to make a 40 seat restaurant profitable? And I mean, the short answer is work your ass off. And the other answer is, you know, to be really kind of one step ahead of everyone else, one step ahead of your vendors, one step ahead of your employees, one step ahead of everyone and everyone else. And everything you do is intentional. You have a reason for doing it. This is why we do it. This is how we do it. And this is a result of doing it. And so Seth really taught me all about that. I, I started out as a pantry cook. Then the lead line cook quit. So I got his job. Then the sous chef quit. So I got his job. And the chef quit. So I got his job. Then the people that owned it got divorced. And the manager uh, got arrested and left. <laughs> but that's a whole <laughs> other story. <laughs> so I was kind of running the whole restaurant. And, you know, I think with all that, I learned how to hit a curveball. And so I could walk in and the whole kitchen was flooded one day and apartment below us, the ceiling had caved in. I walk in, dealt with all that stuff, got the kitchen cleaned up, you know, got the plumber out there and got open for service. And I think once you kind of know how to kind of manage your stress level and just uh, get into, okay, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And I think that's really what I learned at Metropolis, you know, was to kind of, and how to put together uh, a really nice meal with three people. I mean, you you dealt with that at Barrington. Yeah. You know. So so sounds like Metropolis was kind of the framework for Barrington's. I was absolutely the framework. Yeah. There's still the old chef 
uh, we didn't leave on great terms with the old chef that worked there. When I got nominated for a James Beard Award, like went nuts on social media because I had two or three dishes from from Metropolis on 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 my thing, and he's like, "Well, you're not a real chef," and blah blah blah. And I was right. like, "Well, <laughs> I kind of am." Yeah, that's funny. So Barrington's. When I I moved here in 2002, I think you'd been open for two years. Yeah. Right? You opened in 2000, 2000 at Barrington's? Yeah, October. That's in, you consider that South Park. Yes. Yeah, Fairview Road. Yeah, but hidden from the road. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of, I wouldn't call it a strip mall, but it's like in a little like shopping. It's a strip mall. Yeah, yeah. A little, but like a nicer than a, yeah. what I consider like a. It's kind of a Charlotte <laughs> strip mall that just yeah. feels like it has New England roots. Right. It's, it has, uh, a, ben and really, it has a Ben and Jerry's in it, so it's kind yeah. of New england I, and uh, yeah, and and shiplap, you know. And yeah. I walked in, and I just kind of felt like this is very Rhode Island. It was just, uh, it was very random. I had walked in there, I was visiting my son who lived here, and I walked in to apply for a job. And I said, for you know, friend, you know, who's hiring? You know, I think I'm at a sous chef level. Uh, you know, are there any places in Charlotte right now that you think maybe I I should go work? And she said, Well, actually, I'm trying to sell sell the restaurant would you be interested in buying it so i went back to boston changed my mind every day for about a month as you know mm-hmm. only i can yep and uh, <laughs> we can talk more about that yeah. <laughs> and finally i was like you know what? you owe yourself a few risks in life let's do this yeah that's pretty ballsy yeah so at that time you you considered yourself to be at a sous chef level like you had the awareness yeah of your own like experience and knowledge to say, Hey, you know, I'm not a business man. I'm not an executive chef. I'm not at that level yet. Yet through that back and forth, you decided to take the risk. You went, you went ahead and and made the deal. Obviously. I think I consider myself as a chef owner level. I just was very, I didn't know the Charlotte market at all. And I was kind of skeptical that, you know, someone would bring me in as an executive chef and and kind of entrust me to run their restaurant. So I was thinking, you know, sous chef, executive chef, that type of thing. Yeah. How did you flush out the concept for Barrington's? Like what the food would be like, well, how did that come to about? Like, obviously the size was what you were looking for um, from your, your metropolis experience. Yeah. So you're like, Hey, I definitely want this is this size fits what I'm doing. How did you flush out like what that would be? I mean, I just basically brought Metropolis to Charlotte. As I said, everything at Metropolis was very intentional. Um, and so I brought basically the menu format, which was you know very structured. So we'll have a salad, a composed salad, a seafood app, uh, a meat app, and then you know maybe a foie gras. So we're going to have five appetizers. Definitely then, a foie gras. There was always a foie gras on the menu. There's yeah. always a foie gras on the menu. And then, and then we would have four pastas, and there would be a cream-based pasta, a tomato-based pasta, and then you know two other pastas. And so it was always kind of like, and if I were going to change something on the menu, I would pull out a cream-based pasta for another cream-based pasta. And so I kept it, and there was always a, two meats, a chicken, and two fish. So it was always so I would pull one out and then insert another based on the seasons and what I saw at the markets. It was that was a really big surprise when I moved here. Like I did not realize that there was that there was really a pretty strong farmer community here and that I was because I got my first order in um, from uh, from Cisco. 
because that was what I thought I needed to do. And I was like, well, what the hell did I just do? Like, it was awful. Like, yeah. green, greenish tomatoes and mm-hmm. and stuff. And so uh, I think it was Grudy. I ran into, I met Tim Grudy, and he told me about the Matthews Farmer's Market. And then I met Sammy, and then I knew it was going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you, st- do you still stick with the um, the same format? I do. Yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah. I would, I would, I'm going to throw, I'm going to close my eyes and throw a dart at a board and say that the chicken with the confit garlic and wilted spinach is still on the menu. Uh, yeah, I'd be, that would be. You get shot, that, right? That, People, yeah. there would be a fucking revolt. Yeah. If you tried to take that off the menu. That, that would not go well. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I and, think, and that was a Metropolis dish. Yeah. You know, I actually used that dish when we opened Five Church. The, the same one. Yeah. Like, I was like, you know what? I need to have, I need to have a safety net. Yeah. Because when we open good comfort food right there. Yeah. And it's delicious. Like if yeah. you, it's mashed potatoes, spinach and like the gar, like it's just a very good dish. Right. I mean, shit, I eat a meal that's similar to that at least once a week. Yeah. We do roasted chicken at least once a, di- a week and usually not with potatoes, but always spinach. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's like one of those things that you're like hardwired to appreciate. Yeah. And I think I use that on our opening menu when just cause I had to have something that anybody could get. Right. It would be good. Right. I mean, I'd been doing it for years with you. So I was like, I know this is a winner. Yeah. Like we're going to sell a bunch of them. And I don't want to sell the chicken, but yeah. it's going to sell. Yeah. You know, why, why do you stick with that format? Is there something to that or is it just comfortable? Do you think, is it just a system that works? Yeah, I think and it's a system that works. I mean, I think when people go to restaurants, they have expectations and cravings, you know, I think if, and I try to, I try to meet them. If you go in and you're craving fettuccine Alfredo, but there's another cream-based pasta on the menu, then you're going to find something that you want. And right. I think due to the limitations of the kitchen size and the amount, the type amount and the fussiness of the food that we can produce, I think that, that having that format is, is hit touches all the bases and allows the menu to stay small enough so that it's manageable. Yeah. So Barely manageable. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I remember. There's on, nice when it's not manageable. Yeah. So I, I think I, I, I cooked with you. I was a sous chef for you for, I think, three years. I think from 2009, 2008 till, well, we opened in 2012, five yeah. church. So I left in 2011. So that eight, nine, long. ten. So it was like three and a half years or something. Wow. Do you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> Looking yeah, back yeah. at how no, it's funny because is- when when you called me and I was telling telling people that I was going to go see you, it was interesting because I think you learned some stuff from me along the way. And what yeah. I was saying about you was you were one of the most efficient cooks uh, that I'd ever seen. Like there was not a lot of wasted movement. There was not a lot of there was multiple steps all packed into one when you moved through the kitchen. It was just, and I learned. So for me as a chef owner, I learned it. I learned a lot from you just kind of watching your efficiencies and how you, how you went through the kitchen. So that was, hopefully it was a good kind of mutual, mutual relationship that we had there. Yeah, totally. I mean, I did. The reason I really, the first, the reason I came to you first off was I had been working for Gene Briggs at, at Blue and Table for, for years. Yeah. Um, and I love Gene to death. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to have him on the show tomorrow. He's going to come talk with me. Okay. He seems really happy right yeah, now. Yeah. He's, he's in a great spot. Yeah. And I loved working with him. I worked with him for, I think, six years, helped mm-hmm. him open. I came, sh- I came like a couple months after Blue opened. Um, yeah. 
John Matthews recruited me to, he was a sous chef for Gene and recruited me to come yeah. work with them. And then, um, so I stayed with him for like six years and it, that was great. I enjoyed working with him. We had a great rapport. That restaurant was a beast, man. And yeah, we just got annihilated like all the time. Yeah, and the way that kitchen was laid out. Yeah, the layout funky. of the kitchen sucked. It was awful to work in. And and I, so I was getting to the point now where I, in my career, where I was like, okay, I'm done like grinding for people. Like I'm yeah. ready to start moving towards my dream, which is to do a chef-driven thing. Yeah, and table was delicious it was one of the best restaurants in charlotte and one of the worst neighborhoods yeah it was they picked the we picked we had the wrong location yeah. for what we were doing i loved i loved that restaurant and oh, the God, kitchen design great. was awesome yeah. like we had learned from our mistakes at blue yeah implemented that stuff at table and it just yeah. was in the wrong neighborhood yeah but so i came to you because i had heard of you when i got to town you were one of the people that was you were the hot shit at the time. I mean, you were doing the thing. People were talking about your food. They were talking about your little restaurant and how it was like, you know, fast forward six years, seven, eight years. Yeah, it was right. I hired you when Carrie went over to Good Food. Right. It was right before. I think I worked with Carrie for about two or three weeks before yeah. before Good Food actually was like, they moved into that kitchen. Right. And so I wanted to work with you for a long time, but your kitchen staff is three people. And so yeah. there's not a whole lot of turnover or and, opportunities. And no one ever leaves. Yeah. And I think I had talked to you a couple of times. Like I'd reached out and said, Hey, what's going on? You're like, yeah. I've kind of locked, like I've got all this yeah. stuff going on. I've not really got any space. So luckily that worked out. Yeah. I learned a ton from you because your operation was what I wanted. I wanted something small, controllable. Um, you were, clearly doing it well and successful at it because you were opening another one. There's right. also not that big. Right. It's a little bigger, but not by much. Not by much. <laughs> and so, and all the restaurants that I had worked in were like these like meccas of French, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And so I wanted to learn that stuff. And I did. I learned a ton about, you're speaking about being a step ahead of everybody. I think I learned that from you. The checking, you know, checking on the pricing from different vendors, holding your vendors accountable, which is something yeah. that I'd never seen before. Like, I mean, you would get on the phone and bust fucking balls, like straight up. I would, I would yeah. be, I would be in the kitchen prepping for dinner service. Cause we basically like redid the menu on like basically every day, <laughs> like mm -hmm. prep the menu and uh, you'd be screaming at, you know, Mickey or somebody like about, you know, some, some hacked up piece of fish that we paid full price for or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I learned a, a lot about game Mickey PTSD. Yeah, totally. And uh, so I learned a ton about how to operate a small business and structure a menu in a way that was appealing to the masses, but still gave you leeway to play yeah. and fulfill some of that like artistic, creative yeah, stuff that we that's have. That's what I yeah. set out to do. It gave me, you know, you have a lot of opportunities to play and then, but there's tried and true stuff too. How was that experience for you? Like the opening of Barrington's and then like, making it a profitable business was it profitable straight away was that kind of like a learning curve where you were it, it, it surprisingly was like in the early days though there were days you know we weren't very busy and people i guess because we we're so hidden and people just didn't understand what i was trying to do and like it would just be me and carrie in the kitchen and we would do the dishes do the prep do the dinner clean up and go home. How many covers would you do like in those early? Like, like anywhere from like 14 to 20. Yeah. It's yeah. Like and then the weekends are... were a little bit busier. We had extra people on the weekends, but it wasn't, wasn't a lot. So uh, I didn't have any payroll at all. You know, Peggy, I had Peggy and three servers and I had me, me and Carrie in the kitchen and maybe one other. So 
I mean, but we were able to keep our heads above water uh, during that time. And then about seven months into it, I got a um, review from Helen Schwab. Uh, I got four out of four stars, and it just went nuts. That's awesome. And that, that's when I got Larry to come down and help out. He was uh, in New York working at an Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, that's I mean, fun. that's so great. And then was it just like gangbusters from there, like catching up to? Yeah, it never, never slowed down after that. So what is, what's a, what's a busy service for you? Like the most wicked Saturday night? Our biggest ever was like 110 people, maybe. I think we did. I, we did yeah. one of those when I was there. And I was yeah. like, holy shit. I felt like yeah. we just got. A comfortable night is like in the 70s, yeah. 70s to 80s. It's, 70s to 80s is busy. Busy, challenging, but yeah. not, not like you don't want to. You, your don't, you don't feel broken afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did 240 at uh, Stagione the other night. I thought we broke Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, is, why, why is it so difficult to do those numbers in that volume, do you think? Like, or, or in it, why is it so difficult to do that number to, to do a hundred covers at Barrington's? Well, I mean, it's too full. I think people want to stay there at Barrington. So it's really hard for us sometimes to turn our tables. Mm -hmm. Um, and secondly, you have three people responsible for cooking, you know, maybe if you do a hundred people, maybe 300 or more dishes. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of food going out of a very small kitchen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, the plating surface, I remember being, I mean, it's that one station on saute that's, I don't know, maybe six, is it six yeah. feet long by yeah. like maybe a foot and a half deep? Right. So you can only line up six, six plates. plates at a time. And it's not, you know? it's yeah. not like we're pre-searing our chicken or, right. you know, it's not like we're pre-searing, we're pretty much yeah. cooking everything to scratch on a flat top, six burners. Yep. You remember, it's like culinary, culinary Tetris. Well, and one of those burners has got a pasta pot on it. So, right. you, so you only have five burners right. realistically to cook on. So you're constantly thinking, okay, I'm going to get this pan on and I'm going to get that in the oven. And then when that is on, I'm going to get this pan on. And so, you know, you get four or five pastas that are, you know, made in the pan to order. You're in the weeds. Yeah. You're weeded. It's Yeah, you just don't have the burner space though. So when I came, when I came, I was in the weeds the whole time I was there. Yeah. Like straight. I feel like that whole thing, I was just constantly in the weeds. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was just like, Jesus, or is it ever going to end? But, you know, I, I, I got a lot out of that experience because I got to use the skills that I learned in right. New York. And there weren't the other restaurants that I'd worked in prior to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I seared steaks at Blue. Yeah. Like, like I was a sous chef. I ran around, I did orders and stuff, but like we sold more fillets at that yeah. restaurant than I'd ever seen in my life. Like, and I don't sell fillet. It's yeah. weird. If I have it on the menu, it doesn't really sell that well. Really? Uh -uh. Good on you for doing that. Yeah. That's amazing. I it's mean, just, in, in my restaurants now, we sell a lot of fillets. Yeah. It's, just, um, it's been the weirdest thing that steaks just don't really sell well in my restaurant. That's, I mean, good for you. That's awesome. Well, the other uh, thing that was nice too is you get to touch, like, you're responsible for every plate that goes out. Yeah. Like, if it doesn't, if it comes back and it doesn't taste good or whatever it is, like, You've had, you've had some, no matter where you are in that kitchen, you've had some sort of touch on that plate. Yeah. The three, you touch every plate that goes out. And I think that's your, your style of plating is not simple. You, you have, nah. I mean, it's clean. Yeah. Your, your plate ups are clean, but there, there's a lot of touches. 
Um, yeah. There's a lot of like this goes here, sauce here, like takes a lot. And I remember one of the the difficult things for me when I was working at saute station was getting all the food like cooked properly. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's difficult enough, but right. you also have to plate. Yeah. And, like pulling and, down bowls. Yeah. You're it, trying yeah. to get set for the next yeah. plate up and then, and then plate. And then of course you got the other hands helping, but like they're in the shit too. Like everybody's in the yeah. shit and there's a, like, you kind of have to work as a team and take turns. And it's like, okay, we're going to play apps real quick. We're going to like fire out these foie gras and then, and then we yeah. got to go on these 20 other dishes. Yeah. And it was really, it was a really awesome kind of chaotic energy. Yeah. Yeah. When it works, it's fun. Yeah. When it doesn't work, it's miserable. Yeah. I I remember smashing some pans. Yeah. And that like, like monkey fisting these pans and just smashing them on the ground. Do you remember that? I would lose my shit sometimes. I remember kicking a pan once. Yeah. And catching it a little better than I thought. And it like shot right over the dishwasher's head and smashed (laughs) it on the wall. And it was just because I dropped it on the floor. Like I wasn't mad at anyone. And I was like, oh, and I was trying to get it out of my way. And he quit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had to do the dishes and do the cooking that night. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of space in that kitchen to not affect the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting thought. Because a lot of what I do now is thinking about, I mean, we, we've, fifth street group my team we're working on how to change how we do business right right I love like that um you've read kitchen confidential right? oh yeah 100 i was yeah. in new york like like that was <laughs> i mean you know you get past the oh the stuff that happened on the cape and this and that but when he's talking about like driving into work thinking about well so-and-so's working the saute station tonight and he's not very good but my guy on the grill slays it so I'm going to take one item off the saute station. I'm going to put it on the, maybe put a special off the grill state. You know, that kind of tr- always kind of train of thought of like, these are my chess pieces and how do I best utilize them and stuff. And I like, I think that like Barrington's probably is good to give you a foundation and it's just, but like our, our just a realization that that's like how you have to think. And I can't yeah. imagine doing it on your scale. It's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult, but it, but it's the same thing. It's just to scale, right? And right. You know what? You know what changes, and I I learned this the hard way, is the menu had to change. You know, the menu that we opened with was very. It was a different style than we did at Barrington's, mm-hmm. but but my plating was very similar to yours. Like it had a lot of garnishes and touches and right. textures and elements to to complete the dish, and it wasn't possible. Like we did it, we did it yeah. for about eight months. Yeah, it was. Hard. I almost like blew my brains out a couple of times because I was right. like, "What am I doing?" With yeah, and t- I made that mistake at Stagione. I made that mistake at, yeah. at Good Food too. Yeah, and just ha- you kind of have to learn from like, what yeah. can I, what can I yeah, do? Yeah, you well? come in with one sense of sensibility or one sensibility, and then you understand. Yeah, pretty immediately. But I think the thing that separates the good restaurants and the better restaurants is is the fact that you can own the fact that your initial idea wasn't perfect and that yeah. you all sit around as an organization and kind of hash it out. Well, what went right? What went wrong? What can we do? Like, you know, what is, what can we, what can we compromise? But what won't we compromise? And I mm-hmm. think that's the, that is, I that's think that's the, the magic formula. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think it takes a level of maturity, professional maturity to learn yeah. that. Cause I didn't, I mean, I don't think that I accomplished that level of professional maturity until yeah. Maybe, I mean, we might have been three years into, you know, we might have opened Nana Byron's by that point, our second right. restaurant, and been working on Charleston when I started to like 
come to grips with all that. You know, as things are expanding, I was like, wait a minute, we got to change that. How do you manage that now? I mean, you've got your hands full. You've got five projects, you know, four, four restaurants that, that are, that are yours. And then you've got a partnership with Larry at the, the bun spot. Do you keep your team? Do you, do you meet with your team and say, Hey guys, what are we going to do? Or is this a vision of, you know, like this is Bruce's vision. How are we going to execute it? How are you managing that as you expand? I think, you know, I haven't done a great job of it lately, but you know, one thing that we did that was really good was we set up a system, a weekly meeting. You know, Chris Reed helped us out with that. We set up a, a weekly meeting and we kind of do all our metrics. You know, we were this busy this week. And then we do our schedule. We have this going on, this going on, this going on. And then um, then we have our issues. And I think we really kind of delve into a lot of the issues. And I think some of the issues are restaurant specific and some of the issues translate throughout the restaurant system. And, and so I think that's been helpful because I don't pretend to know everything. And, uh, you know, I, I've always gone out of my way, you know, to hire mature, responsible people that uh, know as much as I do or more and, and then not be arrogant enough to think that I'd need to like put them in their place. And you know, if, the, if what they says has merit, then that's great. And if I don't think it's the right call, then I'll say, I don't think it's the right call and we can hash out why I don't think it's the right call and, and what, what your thought process was behind it. So I try to keep it uh, pretty broad based and uh, not really all that autocratic. Have you suffered from a lot of turnover? Um, like yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. I uh, think. Is it is it more now than. Not than, Barrington so much, but yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, and everyone keeps saying pandemic or it's going to get better. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I think some people left the workforce during the pandemic. Some people are aging out of the workforce. The expansion has just been off the charts. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, when I opened Barrington's, the rule of thumb was one restaurant per shopping center because they were high risk and there was enough retail to kind of maintain these shopping centers. And now it's four to five to six restaurants per shopping center. And there's just not the workforce to support that. To support of, that. Yeah. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the job is not for everyone. It, yeah. you know, the, you don't have weekends, you work nights, kitchens are hot, kitchens are dangerous. You know, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a grueling, it's a grueling lifestyle and it's not for everyone. And I think that at this point, you know, the, the kind of glory and the allure of opening restaurants has outpaced our workforce. And I think that it is what it is. I don't think it's going to necessarily, and I think shutting down the borders for five years or six years or whatever we've managed to do is, is not, not helping to help either. No, (laughs) I agree with that. Um, do you have plans to expand any further or what are you, what are you up to now? I mean, I think I'm good right now. You feel you know? good with yeah. where you're at? You're I'm like 57 you're... and the only thing I might do another NC red. Um, and you know, I'd love to do, I might change the name, but I would love to do an NC red in new England. So I think that would kill it in Newport. I, you know, I was, I'm not sure if I started fantasizing about it because I was, looking at my calendar and saw that you were coming up and I was like thinking about Marblehead and the town I grow. And I was like, man, I would love to do a new England, like, yeah, just you kill know? the new England part and then yeah. throw some Southern in. Cause yeah. Newlanders get confused. Kind of reverse what you yeah. did, which is bring new yeah. England to the South and like kind yeah. of reverse it. Yeah. That would, that would crush actually. I That'd think it fun. would do well in Newport or one of the beach towns. Yeah, totally. Um, 
that would be fun. So let's talk about NC Red a little bit. Um, so that you took over an iconic spot, yeah. um, the Penguin Drive-In, mm-hmm. um, which I actually worked at for a hot minute before we started working together. I was, yeah. I would highlight as the uh, fry cook over there to for free beer on the weekends just for shits and giggles. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So you took that spot over when the Penguin guys moved out, turned it into a, how would you describe it? Uh, yeah, it was uh, North meets South. Um, so it was North Carolina fried chicken, collards, grits, that type of stuff, fried catfish. And then I mixed in a lot of what I grew up with, New England shore food. And it was, uh, you know, lobster rolls, just simple grilled raw fish, bar raw bar stuff. Yeah. yeah. Baked oysters. How did the neighborhood respond to that um, that concept over there? Were people stoked about it? I mean, it was... It, it felt like it. I yeah. think we got absolutely crushed at the beginning and i think you know we had our we definitely had our learning learning curve and then it kind of after about six months it fell off a cliff and got super slow and then and then slowly it was building 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 and then the pandemic hit and then it just uh we did really well with the takeout business and then um but that's what that's yeah that's just a band-aid yeah and then we, and then I closed it down for three months and just kind of like dialed everything in. I, you know, I was running. I could never get the right. My my, I loved my managers there, but the 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 the, the numbers were just wrong, and so we had to go back and kind of start from. Are you from talking one. about like the financials? Like, yeah. Like the books were the just books not, were wrong. Like I was were, running. A really high, like a forty percent labor cost, and I was running like a forty percent food cost, and I just couldn't. Do you think those numbers were accurate, or do you think that that there's something wrong with the bookkeeping or just the systems or no, whatever? No, the numbers were accurate. Yeah. It was um, that's not a viable user error. Yeah, it's not a viable. Yeah, it wasn't a viable, and so you know, I think we. One of the things that I've been able to do is make so much money during my busy time because we get get it dialed in quickly. And be able to save that and bankroll it and have it last me through. Like, because I think Charlotte always runs that trajectory where mm-hmm. you're super busy out of the gate and then it slows down for a while. And then you become an established restaurant and it works. And I think because we couldn't get our food and labor costs in line, I didn't make enough money to kind of to get carry through that, that slower next. period. Yeah. Gotcha. So at that point, you decided just to. Close it, close it down. Or? We closed it down, reinvented it, like really dialed everything in. And it was a really good process to go through. Like I can tell you, you know, we had it all logged into a system where we knew to a penny what we were spending on everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and what our food cost was. And then we dialed back our labor. And so the potential there was, uh, was there. And then we kind of opened up. And it didn't get back rolling as quickly as I thought it would. And then so I kind of pulled the panic button. And, you know, it's also a quality of life button, too. It just was one more thing to worry about. And it was one more headache. And uh, so I kind of pulled the panic button. And I got in touch with uh, Frank, another operator. And I said, hey, I know you've been interested in this spot for a long time. What do you think about taking it over? And so he did. And then once I kind of verbally made that commitment my sales went up like 30 35 percent of course because that's the way it rolls right because that's the way it, that's the way things go yeah, but it, it definitely left me feeling like that that 
and you know the amount of people that I've had come up to me and tell me how sad they were when that closed. So it definitely left me with a feeling that that there's something to that concept, and yeah. that you know, and that might, and that was always going to be my thing that maybe I could open up multiple locations. Yeah, I think I think that that model can work yeah. uh, on on scale too. Like yeah. you could do it, you could do it in a lot of different places. Um, if it's done well, right? Like the the trick of it is like, and I and you would do it well for sure because I know how you. How, well, I want to talk about yeah. locality and ingredients and stuff too. Yeah, it was a lot of high cost ingredients. Yeah, and the neighborhood is fine. It's it's kind of a big mismatch of people, and mm-hmm. like I've found that there was a lot more like customer conflict than in any other of my other restaurants what do you mean by customer con- like what was the conflict just a lot of like you know the parking being at a premium people legally parked and we would say something to them and they get super aggressive about not I, we towed one lady and i thought she was going to blow up the restaurant <laughs> and and just like just conflicts about things that we had no control over and people coming in and just causing scenes and it just getting a lot more difficult and then just getting uh, caught up in some of the social media stuff that goes on in that neighborhood and Mm -hmm. things like that. We had um, these three very conservative female politicians went and photographed themselves in front of the NC Red logo and uh, turned it into a political yeah, like, uh, social I, media yeah, post. And all of a sudden I became a, the... a Trumper and, <laughs> and no one no one wants me in the neighborhood. And it was just like, I don't really have control of people taking photos in a public place. Like, it's not like, you know, they're more yeah. than welcome yeah, to, but... to take a photo in front of the NC Red. And, right. I, you know, I don't want to try to mediate that. And I don't want to, I just want to cook food. I don't want to be political. Wow, that's crazy. So, I, yeah, the neighborhood, I was just always like, wait, what? So yeah. it was a lot of that <laughs> that went on there. You've got time for that kind of nonsense. Yeah, and you know? I just felt like, the, yeah, but I think the whole neighborhood's changing too, and maybe that's yeah. a little sad. Yeah. What? So let's talk about the quality of life thing. Since that played a little bit of a part in it, What? how do you manage that in your day-to-day, through your businesses, and, and you know, for longevity purposes? Yeah, I mean, I just... I mean, I think that's one of the things that we've all probably assessed over COVID, you know, when we were told that, I know this is what you do for a living. I know this is what you love, but you can't do this for a living and you can't do what you love anymore. We're going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. And they just shut us down and made us get rid of all our employees. And then they, then they opened us back up. And at that point, we're scrambling to get our all our employees back. And, yeah, you it's, know, like re- it's like reopening a restaurant. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hey, you know, and so when you kind of deal with that and all the different pivots that we've had to take, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that we're kind of government man, okay, we're at 50%. And if you stand up, you have to have a mask on. But if you sit down, you don't. But I'm supposed to police people coming in. And oh, wait, we had the police in here. What was it the police? No, maybe it was the health inspector. I'm not sure. It was either a policeman or a health inspector. <laughs> if they were here with a ruler and they were measuring how far our tables are apart, and they said this table is six inches too close so that we need to take a table out or move or somehow expand it, and you're just like, oh, my God, make it stop. And so yeah. it just kind of, when you're when you're just constantly faced with, like, someone just really trying to hinder an already difficult business, it just kind of makes you think about, like, what, what makes me happy and what, what makes me unhappy. And we've been doing this for 21 years. 
or more and it's just at, at, at what point yeah is enough enough yeah you know and it's just you've got customers that are edgy and you've got employees that are scared and it's just so it just kind of makes you reassess what like where's where's my quality of life when do i get to go yeah to to switzerland and go, which i did yeah. and go skiing like and am i really tied to this restaurant because i don't know who's going to show up on any given day and so you just it, it it's made me reassess a lot of stuff the hours of ops at barrington's that you closed on sunday, sunday. yeah because i remember and yeah, monday through saturday five, we, we, we always got close. we got two days off oh and peggy uh, opened the patio oh really and now calls it her patio she can have it yeah <laughs> then you have to serve it clean it yeah <laughs> you have to dust all the the glasses out there and listen to jason complain about it yeah <laughs> oh man so now you have uh what do you have uh, uh 60 seats now yeah, oh crazy. god <laughs> <laughs> that's too much yeah. so i wouldn't do it i would have like i quit i'm out of here 40 was enough for me yeah but um but we had a really good schedule there we worked our asses off you know we never really had i don't remember ever having like kind of a schedule it was kind of like you're off you're either yeah. off monday or tuesday usually right and everybody's off sunday and then you know you come in whenever you need to be here to get your work done right it wasn't like you know, oh, you yeah. got to be here at noon or you got to be here at one. Or it's just like, hey, if you. Just as long as you're here by two. Yeah. Like, and your you, work is done. Yeah. If, if you can get if you can get work done from two to, to five, go for it. Yeah. You know, whatever. I never came in at two. No. Ever. Mm-mm. You're 1230. I was, yeah, I was a 1230 guy. I just had too much shit to do. Yeah. I was like, I think I remember, I remember bringing, I think that was the first place that I brought Max to work with me. Yeah. I put him like in the stock pot or something next to my station one day. Well, that's kind of the cool thing about that restaurant is. Like, yeah is you can challenge or unchallenge yourself as much as you want. I mean, back in the early days, I remember doing a duck dish where I boned out a duck leg. I made a force meat, included foie gras, wrapped it, cured it for three days, and then confit it, and then sliced medallions. And it's just like, I would never do something like that right now. You can make your life as difficult (laughs) as your easiest, but that's kind of what I liked about that. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's your approach now? When you're when you're developing a menu these days, are you looking at like what 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 inspires you in your menus these days? Yeah, I think I go back to having a balanced menu, and then a lot of what the local farmers are bringing in. One of the nice things about Stagione is we use so much pork that we've been able to get like one or two pigs every other week from Isaac, and awesome. uh, we bring in whole you know whole pigs, break them down ourselves, utilize every last piece of it, and you know, we deal with. Newtown Farms still, Boy and Girl Farms and all those. And we just kind of every week we look forward to seeing what they've got on their list and kind of base a lot of our decisions around, you know, what what they're growing, what they're planning on growing uh, and, and you know, move into that realm. You know, uh, Stagione, we keep it Italian, but loosely Italian. Mm-hmm. So, there's so you're not, you're not, you're not like die hard, like Italian um, rules with, you know, this pasta, this sauce needs to go with this shape of pasta. Nah. You guys yeah. are loose. You, you'll play a little bit. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Blur the it's lines. Kind of. Yeah, I think one of the, in my in my opinion, one of the biggest things about Italian cooking it's what's available. Yeah. And so, as long as we're using what's available, we're I think we're two thirds of the way there. Yeah, I think you. That's another thing that I, I enjoyed about working with you guys. You know, we used the market when I worked with Gene. Yeah. But that was a monster restaurant. I mean, we were doing 450 covers a night. Like, 
Sammy and his team, his kids, yeah. his team, his children couldn't yeah. dig up enough potatoes yeah. right. to, to be able to like deal with us. Um, so we bought, we bought from them basically just for features, you know, for fun, for inspiration. Working with you, I mean, we use the, we use the market as like a source of our yeah, product, our product. And yeah. we would have that product for three or four days. And then, you know, we'd get a delivery on Wednesday that would yeah, carry us till the, Saturday where we will go to the market. The more money I can give to them and the less money I can give to my broadliners, I'm happier. Why? Because uh, I can see the direct effect I have on their family, and yeah. and and it's a it's a locally based, and I've made a living out of my local, um, out of my local customers, and mm-hmm. and so I like to repay that and keep it, you know, keep it as local as possible. But at the end of the day, if I can find a French cheese that I like better than a North Carolina cheese, I'll take the French cheese. Yeah, <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. Um, I think the food's better too. I mean, yeah. I think, I think it just hands down. Yeah. And I think that's something I learned. Another thing I learned working through the kitchen with you guys and, and cause I have a great relationship with Sammy now as well. I, I met Sammy, I think from Mark at, yeah. over at uh, Ethan's, but then, you know, continued that relationship when I was working with you and then eventually made him come mentor me when I opened my farm. I was like, Hey, yeah. now you're my mentor. And he was like, Oh man, really? And I was like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I learned that and really got attracted and inspired by cooking locally in New York and, and you probably in Rhode Island too, you get you get access to great vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. Um the I mean, seasons we are had a lot. garden when I was growing up. Yeah, I want to talk about that too, because um but we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um we had great vegetables in New York, like yeah. awesome vegetables, but we didn't know the farmers that grew them. Like they came in on a yeah. boat or a ship or wherever. Right. And they were still immaculate. They were expensive. But then having the community based around that product and the yeah. stuff literally like the stuff coming from Newtown Farm or Boy Girl Farm. I mean, the yeah, stuff. And I've bike ride with Sammy for years. Yeah. So, and, I mean, and, the, and the food's coming like the, that product's coming out a day, 12 hours before you're peeling it or whatever. Right. It changes how you can cook. You know, you Absolutely. don't have to you don't have to work so hard to make something excellent. No, you have to work hard to not screw it up. That's that's the trick that I, I started to, to pay yeah. attention to. Yeah, and that's one thing I tell people is like, how do I know when I'm a chef? And it's like, you know, you're a chef when you know how to when to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you can edit yourself and pull yeah. back and say, yeah. oh wait, it does not need one more ingredient. Yeah, I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm a lot better now, but I'm not Johnson. there yet. I, were, I was trying to find your mole recipe the other day. The mole? Yeah. I'll be able to give it to you. Best mole ever. Just text me. I'll give it yeah. to you. <laughs> I'll send it to you after. All right. Um, so let's talk about the garden growing up. I know that your um your family had a pretty strong impact on you. I've I've got a copy of yeah. your book here I want to talk about. Uh-huh. Um because that's something I've been interested in. Maybe thinking about doing a cookbook, maybe doing something. Just so I want to talk about that experience. But you touch on your family <laughs> in here. And um, how important your mom and your grandma was yeah. um, to your attachment to the kitchen and to food. So my parents got divorced when I was two. So I grew up with my mom and my sister. Um, we bounced around a little bit, but mainly Rhode Island. And then my grandparents were in Rhode Island. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather got divorced. So single grandmother. And my mother and my grandmother always had gardens. And so basically as a kid... You were like, go out and pick me 13 green beans, six tomatoes, 
and 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 four potatoes and you would go out and bring that specific amount and then my grandma was very french influenced so we'd concasse the tomatoes like we'd blanch them peel the skin take the seeds out and then there was a very specific way of making this and then blanch the green beans shock them serve them chilled so that was, and then use the lettuce that we pulled out of the garden so everything was just like yeah right out so i got kind of used to that kind of detail-oriented meticulous like these are the steps of cooking yeah and you don't cheat on any of them and this is the result if you utilize these steps and pull them out of the garden and i think it really kind of got a good sense i mean you know you get sent out to weed that was never fun but right <laughs> but just to be able to have like the you know butternut squash uh hovered squash eggplant tomatoes fresh basil herbs all the time in the summer it was it was you know really gave you an appreciation and i think you know, one of the ways I, I bonded with my mom was to, to just to be in the kitchen around her. And then, you know, part B of that was being the kid of a single parent. The necessity of feeding yourself on a regular basis is, is there, too. So, you know, I think I took what I utilized and then learned how to work the kitchen in my favor. That That's awesome. Like, that's like the idyllic kind of like... Right. Like the story that you envision yeah. for, for like a great chef, right? It's like right. you have this like these food memories that are like really yeah, you know, poignant and <laughs> and, uh, and what was otherwise two really mean women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were they? Were they Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well so where did that like proficiency in cooking come from with your grandmother? Was she just really into food or did she She was yeah, she was travel into food. A lot? She like, traveled a lot. My grandfather was in the foreign service. He was stationed in Romania, Paris. Like I think when she lived in Paris, she picked up a Matisse off the street and sold it and sent us all to college. Like it was <laughs> like one of those things. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um so yeah, and I think while she was in France, she really liked Julia Child. She really liked a lot of the Jacques okay. Lepin. So Julia, like, yeah, Julia and Jacques are, are responsible yeah. for the concussing and yeah, yeah, and kind of followed theirs. You know, used the joy of cooking, used James Beard a lot. Like she had all the cookbooks and everything, and we went through all those. And so it was, she was pretty, pretty detail oriented. And her whole house was. She lived in like this really cool mid century modern house out in the middle of the woods and. You know, you'd see foxes and deer run by and stuff, but like everything in the house had a place and a purpose. Yeah, very like meticulous. Minimalistic, meticulous. Yeah. And my mom was pretty minimalistic and meticulous. And so that's kind of the sensibility I've always tried to bring yeah. to food. I think it definitely shows in, 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 in how you're doing what you do and the concepts that you're doing for sure. Yeah, Carrie, Carrie my brother, was more 300 ingredients and somehow they all worked. Yeah. He's probably the best cook I've ever worked with. Yeah, I've only I only worked with Kerry for a couple yeah. of weeks. Um when I I basically took over for him at at Barrington's when he opened yeah. with you at, at Good Food. He he's he was very good. Like he had his systems down. His I mean, he would the thing I think that Kerry would have been a really amazing chef for for that situation. His communication wasn't great. Like he didn't like talking to anybody. No. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I really had to like dig right. it. Like I had to corner him on the stage yeah. and be like, yo, I need the method for this. <laughs> like yeah. I'll just do it my way, but I want it to be right. So like and, and like and force him to tell me, you yeah. know, the method for whatever I was. I remember making. you and Kyle used to make fun of us because there would be A, no food in the walk-in. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, where's the food? Yeah. Like, how are we supposed to cook? Right. 
What? And and B, I would be like, oh, I think I have this idea. And Carrie would be like, Do you want that sautéed or grilled? And I'd be like, sautéed. And like, okay. And and new people would be like, What just happened there? Like, yeah. I, there was no level of communication, and yet Carrie knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. You guys had a very uh, un- inter <laughs> communication that was minimalist. Yeah. <laughs> That I mean, I still don't understand, but um, but I mean, I guess you get that from being siblings and then yeah. also working together. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you have a, you weren't always the best communicator either. No. You're you're kind of a. Would you consider yourself to be an introvert? Yeah. Like you're Absolutely. pretty quiet. Yeah. I think you and I always got along really well. Yeah. Um, I'm very like I would just be like, yo, what do you want me to do? Yeah. I'd like kind of force like whatever. No, you would corner me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, Bruce, what's going on with this? Like, what am I doing? So has that. Has that, has that ever been difficult for you? Like, do you find that difficult managing your teams or like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I you, think I've tried to get a little better at it. But so I still it's something feel, you actively yeah. are like aware of and like trying yeah. to. And at least now I can acknowledge it and understand it. Yeah. And I can understand why people are getting frustrated with me. So, and, and try to alleviate that. Yeah. So do you, are you aware of that? Like when it, ha- like when it's happening, like if you're trying to. You know, you're doing a menu change or something at one of the restaurants yeah, and the cooks whole, are kind of like... I had a whole instance with that uh, a couple of days ago where it was a dinner that I was trying to plan at, at, at Good Food and I just did a horrendous job of communicating with management uh, about it. And then so all of a sudden the people that were trying to... The outside people that are trying to organize the dinner were calling her, and she's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And I was like, Remember, I mentioned that to you like two and a half months ago while you were busy doing this. Oh, that. And she's like, Oh, no, I don't. And so, I, so yeah. And so we, I still do it. Yeah, still, yeah. But I'm like, You know what? I dropped the ball. This is my fault. I yeah. will fix this for you. And it's funny right now, like just adding the like the littlest needle to the hate or the littlest thing like to to anyone's anyone's vision of what they need to accomplish right now is just overwhelming for yeah you know just because we have so many moving parts right now and there's so many fingers and so many holes in the dike and yeah i feel like i feel like people are like you full to their brink of just like you know everything stress uh workload just managing your personal shit too like you know all this stuff spills over right like you know this is our livelihood and it affects how we live and our families and all this stuff yeah my Um, wife has asked me well can't about something she's like well can't you just ask her to do that and i've like sat down and i said let me explain to you this way i feel like i have a dozen goodwill chips i can use and i have to be and when those goodwill chips are out, I'm in big trouble. And I have to like use those goodwill chips for something that's really, really, really needs to happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm I can't not gonna, waste these. I can't waste these. Yeah. These are just too too, too valuable. Too valuable. Yeah. Right and I won't. And, and I'm not getting any more. This right. is all I have. This is all I have for the year. Yeah. yeah. And I think after that, she kind of understood why. Like, there's. I mean, what was? Is is the juice worth the squeeze? I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's something that I've been learning, uh, through our, our, you know, path is that, you know, I I've been one of those people early on that always wanted everything to be perfect or as close to perfect as possible. And like my vision of what that is and right. all that. And I've had to learn that 
first of all, that thing doesn't exist. You have to, you have to come to terms with that eventually. Yeah. And then when you come to terms with that, how many times you've been told nothing's ever good enough for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm like, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, well, my response is no, it's not. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. always going to try and right and achieve better. Otherwise right. We're that's how, that's how you get to be excellent. Right. Right. You push for perfection and you reach excellence. Right. I think it was right. Charlie Trotter that said that maybe. Yeah. Um, anyways, like that stuck in my head and like, that's how I functioned for so long. And now, you know, my, my approach has softened a little bit or changed where I'm a lot more analytical about how important is this to the goal. Right. Right. And being able to say, you know, is this, is this a level 10, mm-hmm. you know, or is this a, is this a three or a four? How, right. how, how much energy do I need to put on it? How pissed off do I have to get about this? How frustrated or... Right you know, how much energy do I have to put into it? And I've learned to do that better. Yeah. And that's helped. That's helped me manage stress, my workload, like all these moving parts, yeah. you know, because it's I've, never- I've tried to get more realistic with my expectations. Like this yeah. is this is the piece of clay I have in this place. And, you know, and, and am I realistic to think, Yeah. you know, like what what, what can this person produce? You know, it's like getting mad at your dog for not being able to speak English. You know, it's just so I know I try to know what my staff's limitations are. I try to manage my menus and 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 reservations around that. And mm-hmm. then within that realm, it's like I don't I try not to get disappointed when they are fallible. Yeah. But at the same time, hold them accountable to standards. Mm hmm. That is that is the difficult, and that's really hard to way. find people that want to be held accountable to standards. Yeah, no, like, but... did you care what you made your first couple jobs because you knew no. that it was going to get you on a career path? That, like, I I gave zero fucks what I was doing. I, yeah, I when I was working for right. Michael Mina, right, or Danielle or Andrew Carmelini, I didn't care what they asked me to do. Yeah, I didn't, I was yeah. like, are you okay. going to show me? Right, I'll do whatever you I'll do whatever yeah. you want me to do. Well, and you can pay me ten dollars an hour because I know the difference between ten dollars and fifteen dollars. Maybe I can buy myself an extra cocktail when I go out, but mm-hmm. it's not. I need to learn what it is that you know and how you know how to run a successful business. Because at the end of the day, like if I'm making twelve dollars or fifteen dollars an hour, it really isn't going to amount to much. What's going to amount to much is when I own three restaurants and I'm tunning it and making a good living and able to send my kid to private school and and I realize that I still know big, yeah. I still don't know anything. Right. Like I'm, there's still like a whole right ton of shit that I don't know. Right. Um, but you sac I sacrificed my paycheck for that knowledge yep. and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Totally. Me me too. I, I, I mean, get really confused when people get caught up in a dollar you know, that's 50 cents more an hour. This touches what you're touching on now is something that we just we just had a group meeting with our our management front and back of the house for our two stores here in Charlotte. And we were talking about that. And one of the frustrating things as owners um, and leaders for our group is that we have a lot of young managers and chefs and people that aspire to be do more. And we consider ourselves to be experts at what we're doing mm-hmm. in our stores. I mean, I have a ton of experience with amazing chefs. You, I mean, Gene, Danielle, like all these guys, like I've Andrew learned Carmelini, from yeah. I've learned from great chefs along the way. I've never worked for shitty chefs ever. 
I've been really lucky in that regard and, and thoughtful about picking the people I work with. And it pisses me off when my team doesn't take that. Like I'm very open about yeah. my experience. I like, I have nothing is secret. Right. You know, I've got, I, my recipe book is open to everybody. Right. And the reason I know this is because I fucked it up when yeah. someone told me to do it differently. And so when I ask you to do something, I tell you like, do it. Yeah. Like I'm trying to spare you guys the yeah. headache. It's so frustrating. Like, and uh, we always go, Pat was quoting the Cat Stevens song. Um, was it father and son? Yeah. It's like, you know, you're young and that's your fault. Yeah. Like you're just, <laughs> you're guilty of being young. So just yeah. listen to what we have to say and do it. And you, you have this like pool of knowledge that's here to help. Right. So I take advantage it of it. Yeah. Christian does stuff. My, my older son does stuff and it's just, you know, ask me and I'll say, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And this is reason. And, he and he does it. Yeah. He does it anyways, and it <laughs> blows up in his face. And it's like, well, the reason I knew that was because someone had told me not to do it, but I did it anyways. Right. And so we're I doing had this. the same result you had. So <laughs> it's hard to so, get. It's hard to get too worked up about it because you know you. Like if I'm honest with myself, I fuck the same was, stuff up the way he fucks it up. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> totally. So let's. I want to just talk about your cookbook, Bruce Moffat cooks. So I got the signed copy here. <laughs> I got this uh, right here. <laughs> my favorite was when we went, I went to, to um, Charleston Food and Wine. And you're like, oh, if you see Andrew Carmelini, tell me, tell him I said hi. And I saw him. I was like, oh, Jamie Lynch says hi. And he's like, he said you'd look at me like, and I was like, he said you'd look at me like that. I said, monkey. And he's like, oh, monkey, how's he doing? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I actually, um, you know, <laughs> Yeah, so my nickname when I worked with Andrew, I think I got that name when we were working at Le Cirque together. He was yeah. a sous chef at Le Cirque. And the team there ended up going to Cafe Balloon. Nice. I ended up going to Oriole for a minute. Anyways, long story short is my nickname was Monkey. And yeah. I don't think anybody ever knew my real name <laughs> in that kitchen. And the funny thing is I went to La Conda Verde. Um, at, this was after Five Church was open. We had already been through the DNC. Like we were clearly, yeah. we'd hit it. Right. And so we went to New York and I took my business partners to go to La Conda Verde, which is Andrew's place. Which is delicious. It's so amazing and it's so good. And I wanted to share that with them. I was like, this is my mentor, right? This is yeah. the guy who, you know, got my head out of my fucking ass and taught me how to cook. Like, and so let's go to his place. So um, I made a reservation or whatever. And we showed up for the reservation and I told I gave him my name mm -hmm. and um, one of the food runners came up yeah, and was like, Mr. Monkey. Mm -hmm. And like shook my hand. It was like, I haven't seen you in like forever. And it was literally one of the food runners from Cafe Balud like crazy. 15 years before. Yeah. There's still the same dishwasher at Metropolis. That's like I amazing. went, I went with Larry like 20 years later. He was still there. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the cookbook. So um, how was this experience? It was difficult. A lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. So um, I worked with UNC Press and Kia. She originally pitched me the idea. We did an outline. We gave it to a, a literary agent who said she was interested. And then she basically said, only celebrity chefs make cookbooks these days. I'm not interested. And I was like, why did you waste our time? Right. And then so Kia shopped it around and we managed to land a deal with, against my better judgment, UNC Press. And it, it, it kind of took off from there. My original idea for the cookbook was um, I wanted to write it kind of 
as more of a biographical um, and uh, UNC being a university press and more kind of changed that. But I got a lot of the biographical stuff, but I kind of wanted to start out like my whole culinary journey and, you know, where I was like when I was six and give like a, I used to make French toast and coffee cake and pancakes from scratch. And so I kind of wanted to start out with that and then move through my whole culinary journey and kind of talk about my influences and, and how I had to do different things. Um, so, but they wanted more of a traditional cookbook. So, you know, uh, fortunately we were, uh, I was able to kind of, initially I was pretty passive about writing it and let Kia kind of take the reins. And then I started to read it and I was like, you know, I want this to be more of my narrative and less, you know, sound less like Kia and more like me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so we kind of worked it out. A lot of the introductions that I wrote that, that are in the cookbook to recipes, like uh, I was really got to, to hone in on kind of my background and what I did and how I did it and then kind of how I got inspired to do certain dishes and things like that. And there's somewhere I took the lazy way out, which is kind of like, hey, you know, we love this glorious dish, but there's a lot of them that have like some real interest and depth to it. And I'm, that's one thing I'm proud of. And and the photography part I did with uh, Stephanie Haviv and uh, it was a really cool experience because when we started out, we thought, okay, I would be like, okay, this is how we plate this dish, and this is how it will look on the on the on the cookbook. <laughs> and I just remember in particular, we do this quail dish that's absolutely delicious, and I did it, and I put it, and I put it in a, on a plate, and it looked like two brown mounds on a plate, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is yeah. not going to work, and <laughs> so. And so just kind of like being able to go through the mental process of like, well, how are we going to make this pop? And then like putting it in one of those oval all clad containers and leaving it tied up um, and then just draping a piece of foie gras over it and then like putting a bouquet of fresh herbs in with it. And it's not how we serve it in the restaurant, but under those guises, it looks delicious. And so, and just realizing that, I think the first like 20 pictures we took, the food was hot and everything was properly seasoned and, and all that. <laughs> yeah, and I and was like, I, wait, no one's eating this. Yeah, yeah. And then it just needs to look. Yeah, the it way. needs to look the way. And a lot of times, and we learned to like shoot it on smaller plates mm-hmm. uh, so that you could get closer to it and things right. like that. And that you didn't necessarily even have to use a plate. You could just put plate it, on, it on whatever. On what? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, just the kind of that, that type of detail was a lot of fun and, yeah. and writing the little, but, um, you know, we, we made some big mistakes too. Uh, like what? Give me give me one of those mistakes I'm interested in. Uh, well, Kia would come in. Basically, Kia would come in and go through the go through. I would make the recipe, and she would write it down. And so, a lot of times, what she the translation between what I had done and what she had written down were not didn't sync up. Gotcha. And I think if I had to do it again, I would have written the recipe. Uh huh. I would have. I would have written down the recipe. I would have done it out in the kitchen and have her reconcile the recipe. And then we'd go back and reconcile. And then we would have sent it out, but we kind of had her write it down and then she sent it out to be tested. And there was a lot of stuff where it was just really confusing. And, um, and just the level of understanding, like the consistency in the narrative, like in the descriptions, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have to start out preheat oven to three fifty. You know, I, I think we always had that joke in the kitchen, like, how do you know, how long, how long do you cook this? And we would always say until it's done. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, and me, I'm like, well, it depends. Like, is it how thin is your ribeye? Like, is it a thicker ribeye, smaller, or is it thinner? Like, I can give you an ounce, but like, and is it towards the nerve end? Is it fattier? Is it less fatty? Like, these things are all going to going to affect affect the the cook time on it is your oven properly calibrated and this and that and the other and so doing it in a cast iron pan or you doing in a stainless steel pan yeah and so so like just kind of dealing with that was was and was kind of foreign to me and it's just like well you cook it for this long and then like getting back into it and seeing a few of the mistakes i made and not being able to change them is, is like hard like there's a potato leek soup thing which has too much white wine in it and it's uh, just you a, can't it's and just you can't you can't change it now. you're like ah dang like, it <laughs> <laughs> now everybody that makes this is gonna be like this dude's a, this guy drinks too much <laughs> one cup yeah. how did i get one cup that was supposed to be half a cup but there's a few things i missed yeah and so going back and looking at that but like at the end of the day it's really cool and to have something like that and just be a published author yeah and have something that has your words in it and that you can show to your kids and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. It's uh, it was, it took a lot longer. It was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. And how I long, think- how long did it take for you to, to, to put it together from, from like when you decided you finally got sold on the idea? It to- took us, I think we had 18 months to put it together and then it took, no, we had 12 months to put it together and then it took like almost a year and almost two years for them to publish it. Gotcha. Because going through University Press, they had to like, um, they had to get it approved by a board of directors. So it was like a four month until the board of directors met and gotcha. stuff like that. And so, What would you want people to get? And then get? editing it is just crazy. Were you involved in the editing? Oh yeah. Process? So there's a lot have, of like I read back that cookbook 70 times. Oh like unbelievable amount of back and forth. I finally had to get Cat Carter to help me finish it. I gotcha. You're just like, I can't, yeah. I can't read this again yeah. or talk like somebody help. And that was funny. I had, you know, I go back and forth and then I sent it off to Mike Graff, Laura's, Laura's husband. And he like literally got it back to me in three days and tore all the redundant, unnecessary words out like this he's yeah that's a gift it was one yeah that's a gift yeah and uh, you know kia's kia but she's wordy yeah you know cat helped me pull just half half of the words out and then mike pulls and so we got it under was was the publisher kind of specific about what they wanted from a word like we want x amount of words per section to the word yeah okay yeah gotcha so there's like some pretty strict uh yeah and then we came in we came with in within that realm it's not to the word but they have a small window yeah gotcha um so what would you do it again do you want to do it again i think if i could do what i originally set out to do if you could do do your your book the way you want to yeah yeah cool and then it's just you know but finding the different rest like coming up with i guess you can come up with different recipes and stuff so the recipes in here how do you feel about these recipes now like are these do you feel that these recipes are a good representation of like what what your food's about and how you approach yeah i think there's a good combination and i've you know addressed it of um of of like my north sensibilities meet you know kind of with my southern experience and so you know, I remember coming down here and not really knowing what a sweet potato was or ha- having yeah. ever used one and yeah. going to the market and just seeing stacks of sweet potatoes. And You're like, never I got really, to figure out what yeah. to do with those, I guess. Yeah. And 
And so just kind of, there's a lot of kind of how I kind of took my, nor- you know, Northern sensibilities and just mm-hmm. started to integrate them into my, the, the Southern culture. And so, you know, when I would get here, I'd be like, oh, it's tomato season. And you, so you go and second week of august to go get your tomatoes and tomato season's almost over and you're like wait what yeah i, I missed it so i missed like, it what, <laughs> what already <laughs> and so like just having to kind of mentally adjust uh to, to like when you're going to put the tomato salad on the menu and stuff and so i yeah. think i tried to incorporate as much of that into the book as i could because originally i want to call it south by north like south and bye north are there any any recipes in here that are like classics of yours like things that you like i don't like signature dishes or things that would be on your on your restaurant menus or or, are all these recipes and no they're all from restaurant okay so these are all things you've done before and think are indicative yeah like the pecan crusted lamb and all that stuff cool i wasn't sure if it was the kind of thing where you just approached it from like a fresh slate and said hey no if i had carte blanche to do the dish that i think's indicative of my cooking this is what it'd be these are actually dishes that you've served right success yeah i leaned heavily on larry and Mm -hmm. i leaned heavily on drew for helping me like write write and test the recipes awesome so otherwise it would have just been too much well, I don't know that you've convinced me that I want to do one. <laughs> I've thought about it. I thought it might yeah. be fun, but I don't even know if if I could if I could put one together. It's um, a lot of hours. Yeah. But, and the editing part's probably the hardest. Yeah. I'm a terrible writer too. I have yeah. to have somebody write it, which yeah. is also another thing that I'm like Yeah. I don't know how I'd collaborate and get somebody to take whatever jumbled mess is in right. my brain and make that <laughs> like you yeah. know, make that appeal appealing to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a pretty good writer, so yeah. I think that I ran into a little trouble there, which was like, you know, you've made no attempt to sound like me, and mm-hmm. and so you wanted it to be from your narrative, but right. n- not translating maybe the way you wanted yeah, it to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not wordy, and I'm not sitting on my porch eating watermelon <laughs> and yeah. popping the seeds, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, to get my inspiration, it's just. You know, for me, it's very short, concise. You know how I am, short, concise. Yep. <laughs> not, a, not a lot of extra words thrown yeah, in there. No, there's not a whole lot of extra. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about or before we kind of wrap it up for the day? No, you got anything? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it was we super. on a lot. Yeah, I think it's it good. We did an hour and 20 minutes. I feel like we got a good, a good kind of rounded approach into what you're all about. I really enjoyed catching up with you. Yeah, it was good seeing you. Yeah, thanks for coming.